Ari Safari here with another great episode of the Jurassic Collective Podcast. Welcome to the Jurassic Collective Podcast, where we cover everything Jurassic, movie cars, and so much more. So saddle up and let's get this movable feast underway. What's up, guys? Welcome to the second episode of the Jurassic Collective Podcast. We have a very special guest on the show today that is no stranger to the Jurassic Park community. You might have seen him on several episodes of the Lost World RV Restoration videos on YouTube, helping getting that beautiful beast back together. He is also one of the creators of the Worldwide Vehicle Builder Group, the Jurassic Park Motor Pool, and is also an avid Jurassic Park vehicle builder and off-road enthusiast. Welcome to the show, Ari Morris. How are you doing? I'm as happy as a tick on a big fat dinosaur right now. All right, Ari. Well, I'm very excited, like I said, to have you on the show. Um, let's uh, go ahead and get this uh, started. I'm sure a lot of people are really looking forward to see what you um, what you know what you have to say. What got you into Jurassic Park? Well, many moons ago, there was a little Ari in one of those crazy dinosaur phases that kids get into, and uh, this might sound a little similar to my uh, speeches on the YouTube series, but um. Uh, I was into dinosaurs and out came Jurassic Park in 1993 when I was just a wee little thing. And after seeing that in the theaters, which God knows why my parents took me to Jurassic Park at, what was I, three or four years old at the time. Um, uh, but it had a terrible influence on me. I uh, started making little wooden projects and writing Jurassic Park on them and, and making my Legos into little tiny Jeeps. And uh, well, the rest was history from there. But uh, that's the oldest memory I have of it. All right, that actually reminds me of one time when I was in, uh, what was it, Boy Scouts? I was like maybe seven or eight or whichever is the Cub Scouts. Um, and the Pinewood Derby, I remember I built a uh, a little car that replicated the tour vehicle from Jurassic Park. That thing had no aerodynamics. It, it was the worst. <laughs> I thought I was going to win because it looked cool, but no, it was just a terrible idea to build that. <laughs> And that was the first moment where Vic realized looks don't get you everywhere in life. Exactly. All right. So, <laughs> so what made you build a Jurassic vehicle? Well, I got, I had a Mustang first originally in high school. I'm sorry to hear um, that. I was sorry about it too. And uh, especially when, uh, you know, my near death NASCAR like experience came upon me. Oh, no. uh, but that's another story. But uh, in the waning years after that, uh, my friend had had a Jeep. And I'd attempted to use my Mustang as a Jeep a couple on a couple occasions, which did not have anything to do with the uh, the flaming wreckage. But um, I ended up thinking, well, I need to get another vehicle. What's cheaper than a Mustang and that I won't mind braking? And I looked at his 1991 Jeep Wrangler, which he had he got it and it had this horrendous red interior. It was a Renegade, which, as we both know, is the worst body package. Some people like it and that's but fine. Those are those. so cool. They look so <laughs> funny. It's awesome. <laughs> funny indeed i they still make me vomit um but my friend built his up a bit and i had a few experiences in it and so i decided well i'll get a wrangler too not knowing anything about cars and not having any mechanical experience or anything i ended up getting a 1990 with the carbureted inline six uh which we've come far past since then uh but that was the early stages of the jeep and um before i went off to college i was looking at it and it was plain and white and boring and i thought what can i do to make this more interesting i really want a different color because all these jeeps are white um and so we were sitting there and jurassic park came on amc because for some reason amc is in love with jurassic park i mean they play that like all the time or at least the lost world and i was like you know what 
why don't I make it Jurassic Park? I didn't know about star cars or movie cars or cars play or whatever we want to call it uh, at that point and had zero movie car friends. Uh, the only thing I liked was Comic-Con at the time. And so I got a, some Rust-Oleum paint and I looked up on the internet. And of course, I saw the Jeep that uh, Kevin from Colorado Movie Cars had done years ago before vanishing into the depths of the internet and the world. Um, and so I made it gray and orange. And that was my first of many paint jobs and my first evolution into it. And I'm still haunted by 8-bit decals on eBay to this day uh, who show original pictures of the Jeep. Ooh! <laughs> Okay, can you explain to me the gray and orange? Well, uh, a lot of people when you watch the like the VHS or the earlier videos, um, and a lot of people who aren't familiar with the film industry don't know that there are different filters used on the camera. People like you and I might be familiar with that concept, but um, other people weren't at the time. I was one of those people who did not know. Um, I had not started working in uh, with film scanners yet, and so I did not know about these filters. And so Jurassic Park, for a lot of it, it seems to have a... Uh, a bluish filter i'm just going off memory here but uh it changes the colors a little bit and so on the older copies the jeeps look a little grayer uh, as many people will tend to argue or silver and um so at the time i saw kevin's replica which was silver and red and um i looked at the film and it looked a little grayish and maybe not not bright orange like road cone orange but more of like a um a reddish like rust orange um and so I just went to Home Depot and I found this can of chili pepper red, uh, bare paint, and a can of Rust-Oleum navy gray, uh, the generic gray that they use. It's practically primer gray. And I got some foam rollers and I stripped down the Jeep and I painted it up with that and put on my horrendous, time-consuming, layered vinyl at the time. And that's where I got to the first stage of Jurassic Park from. Um, and that's why I went with the colors I did at the time. That was 2007, 2008, probably four, four years later, I would at least switch to red on gray um, before finally repainting the gray to as close to 1992 Sahara sand beige as I could get, and which I do want to paint it one more time because I have this horrendous green undertone that many of us have come to be familiar with uh, as companies continue to substitute the ingredients. May, may us make a very strong note on that is please, if you're looking to paint your Jeep sand beige, please make sure you get a sample of it first and you test it out to make sure it is the correct tone of uh, beige. There is some companies out there that put too much gold and green and it just it, it's not going to look the way it should look. And that's definitely for sure. We're seeing plenty of that with a number of companies. One of the ingredients was discontinued and not not all the paint companies out there are skilled enough to find the proper substitutes, and we want to avoid those gold tones as uh, Manny uh, once had, and uh, the green ones as I do myself. So, yes, the color is actually a factory color from uh, the only Jeep that it came in that color was the 1992 Jeep Wrangler Sahara, and that's going to be sand beige. It's not gray. It's not silver. It's not dark white or whatever their other colors are going around it's not champagne absolutely it's not champagne because there is 93 and up jeep wranglers are champagne beige and only the 92 came out in sand beige which is it's similar colors but if you put them by, side by side you can tell a difference so how did the jurassic park motor pool come to be like how was it started it was a dark and not stormy night when I got a message uh, from a fellow named 
Manny, Manny Chen, Emmanuel Chen, um, who lived out in Las Vegas at the time. He was on the Jurassic Jeep forums, and he's like, hey, I see you've got a Jurassic Park Jeep. I'm working on one. And there's a guy who also works. I worked at Disneyland at the time, also works at Disneyland. And he wants to build one as well. You two should, you know, get to know each other. And that third person was Alan Douglas. And so uh, one day um, on my way out of work, I stopped by one of the trolley stops. Alan works over in California Adventure Park and uh, was driving the trolleys at the time. And so I met him there and we exchanged a few words and we were like, wow, you know, this other person is pretty cool. Uh, we decided let's make a Facebook group. And so we created this little Facebook group and we said, well, let's come up with a you know a cool name for it so we can pretend we're something cool. And uh, after going through a few names, we came to Jurassic Park Motorpool because we figured, well, we're working with the vehicles. And what do you call a big group of vehicles in a professional sense? A motorpool. And so in that moment, the motorpool for more or less was born. And uh, following that was a long year period of Manny and myself competing quietly against one another to see who could find the most people who wanted or had built a Jurassic Park vehicle out in the world. And I think by the end of the first year, we were still under 100 people, and we were amazed at how many we had found at that time. And those were the early days. Okay, so about the motor pool, what has been the most rewarding thing about creating it? I think the most rewarding thing in the about the motor pool has been the community um and i worry a lot that it won't always be as strong and close as it is now and has been in the past but i can hope for as long as it can to maintain that community um it's just everyone with a few you know exceptions every you know every now and then we have to prune someone from the the bush of jurassic park fandom uh for the betterment of the community but um minus those few and far between moments over the, the last few years, um, the friendship, the helpfulness, and the effort everyone's put into. One of the biggest complaints I'd heard before the motor pool was that, you know, all these movie car groups are just a bunch of, you know, jerky people who think they're better than everyone, and they don't want to help each other, but they want to look cool by being in a club, but they don't, they just mistreat each other. And I was like, I don't want that. And neither did Alan or Manny or many of the early members. Everybody said, you know, we want something stronger. And part of what helped us grow was everyone kept hearing how happy the people in the motor pool were and how much help they were offering each other. It's like, hey, you need to paint your Jeep. I've got a garage. Oh, hey, I see you're doing this with your vehicle. And if you want to stick with that, that's fine. But hey, this is what the accurate part is. So here's the knowledge in case you want to change anything about it. And this created a really positive environment for everyone. And it's what I try to make sure that everyone in the motor pool uh, continues to think of when they're doing stuff. There's nothing wrong with being accurate or being unique. As long as everyone understands, we're just here to have fun and help each other and provide the most information we can so that everyone has the best opportunity so that they're not looking at old VHS tapes, questioning what they're doing and grab a grabbing gray rust-oleum paint off the shelf when they could be ordering LJ1 and instead of painting a Jeep four times, painting it once. From all that, I think the moment that said that that was exactly what the motor pool was, was when we did that first national meetup in Branson, Missouri for Fallen Kingdom coming out. And I had my doubts leading up to it that people wouldn't be able to make it or wouldn't want to make it. And then when we were there and 
we had over a hundred vehicles, including yourself and me show up and just everyone was having a jolly time. We weren't all doing the same thing except for the movie and our dinners, but everyone found another person in the group to just hang out with and have a good time with. Some of them went off-roading, some of them went go-karting. And at the end of the day, everyone was saying, when are we doing this again? Because this was fantastic. And people drove thousands of miles for it. And you don't get that without having a really strong community. Absolutely. That that meetup absolutely blew me away. After After that was over, I had a newfound respect for so many of, of the of the members there. Um, you know, kind of sharing that that passion that we have for the movie and for building cars. It was just so exciting being immersed like in that. You were just completely surrounded in that. And that that to me is is will probably go down in history as one of like one of my favorite moments um in 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 the whole Jurassic vehicle uh community thing that I've been a part of. You gotta love it. I think everyone's misconceptions and misunderstandings just they disappeared for a day there. For one moment, we were just all best friends. And now, who who was it that you're talking about there? Are you know, misconceptions and <laughs> misunderstandings? Well, I think you know everybody. You know, we find these people online, and you know nothing about them. I know nothing about them, and you know we kind of just have to trust each other that you know we have we're good people. And you know, over time, we discover some people are bad and some people are good. And I think at that event. A lot of people came in, you know, meeting each other for the first time. And my worry was that, oh, my God, all these people are going to gang up on each other or not like each other. And instead, they they took the opportunity to really get to know one another and new friendships were forged and people suddenly changed how they looked at each other. And, you know, this is more my own paranoia about the situation than anything, Um so it's not like I can name names here. Um, it was just this worry that, oh, God, what if people don't like each other? My anxiety was like, the thud, 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 thud. <laughs> no, I, I understand. I completely agree. And that's what's so exciting about it because I, I, I got there and I was driving around the city and the little town and people will pull me over and be like, hey, you're you're Victor. I'm like, yeah, what's going on? Like, hey, yeah, I bought, you know, some pouches for my Jeep from you. I'm like, oh, cool, man. Hey, let's go play golf. All right. So we went to go play a little mini golf. And it was just, it's the bond of these people and these strangers not knowing each other and so inviting. And they were just up for anything, just to have a good time with people who share, you know, the same passion. It was, it was unbelievable. I, I honestly, to this day, I'm just still like, wow, that was, that was incredible. Yeah, so I, I gotta I, I gotta give you you know your your credit for you know helping putting all this together and making it a reality and pl- doing a lot of the planning for such a successful national media that everybody till this day still talks about and they can't wait for the next one. Yeah, everybody's waiting for it, and I just don't want to take all the credit because it did take the help of a lot of local members out there too, like um, Candace and Chris out of. Uh, uh, St. Louis and uh, Arnold uh, specifically, I believe, is where one of them lives. And um, Devin, who lived uh, in Branson, he was our only member at the time in Branson, and uh, he facilitated a lot of things. He made a lot of recommendations and facilitated a lot of the talk, the early talks with the uh, the theater, the ones I couldn't be there for in person. So whatever I couldn't do over email, um, you know, he took time out of his day, and um, it. It took a big effort. And then, of course, everyone who showed up. I mean, this would it would have been crickets without all the people who spent the time and money to show up there. 
hopefully we can do it again. Uh, and it's going to happen, and I'm, I'm going to look forward to it. But, yeah, big shout-out to those guys. And, of course, uh, the city of, of Branson, you know, Branson, Missouri. It's a, it's a pretty cool place. It's, you know, fairly inexpensive, a lot of stuff to do. It was it was very welcoming when, when we were there. I'm pretty sure leading up, everyone asked, why Branson? But the IMAX theater, specifically Tom and his crew, um, who went around to the whole town and, you know, said, hey, we've got all these people coming out for this movie. We're going to be doing this huge event. Let's get some, you know, collaboration going on. Um, they really turned it into something else. Um, everywhere we went, the whole town knew. It's like, oh, you're with the Jurassic Park people. We're, it's great to have you here. Please come on, sit down, have a, enjoy the show, enjoy the dinner, whatever it happened to be. It's like, where can you go? And an entire town is expecting you and welcomes you with open, open arms. Absolutely. The, the hospitality was phenomenal. I, I got to bring this up because I'm sure a lot of listeners um, are wondering about this, have seen you in the videos. We got to talk about the screen used Lost, the Lost World RV. So tell me, how was your time working on that thing? Tell me, I mean, you know, we've seen what's on YouTube and we've seen what's on video. Tell us what's not on video. So when people watch the series, they see all the goofy moments because, you know, Chris took the time to go in there and, you know, cut it in a very interesting way. Um, and I think you don't see as much of the the sweat and the the toil that went into this. I mean, some of the early episodes before we move it, we're literally saying on screen that, hey, it's like it's going to be 110 degrees or 100 degrees today. And those are absurd temperatures to be working out in the desert, uh, which California is a technically a desert state. And we were in the literal desert of California. In the summer, it's dry. You don't have any breeze and it can be upwards of 100 degrees and there's just dust and heat and rattlesnakes and bugs and it's miserable to say the least. I would never want to live there um, personally, um, but I'm saying that now even though I live in Las Vegas, uh, which some will conceive as a very inhospitable place with 115 degrees in summer. Um, but that was that's what we were working in, and it was grueling. You'd show up at 6 in the morning and hope you get as much done as possible before noon so that the sun doesn't cook you alive. As you were sitting there working inside the RV, there's still a lot left from what the prop makers did to make it look the way it did. Is there anything you want to talk about as far as what was still left behind? Because I know that you, there was some monitors and maybe maybe some switches or something like that that was left behind from the original uh, design. Um, trying to think what it was like when we first got to it. It had been sitting there for several years and it had been used a little bit as storage, a little bit as rat hotel, and definitely a giant uh, water reservoir in the, during the rainy season. And so I remember we went up to it, the whole thing's covered in this thick matted layer of oxidization. And we hadn't gone in it at this point yet. And we're like, okay, you know, we need to check this out, see what we're dealing with before we start the recording and everything. And first you walk up to this and you're just blown away by the sheer size. This is this whole thing front to back is 63 feet long. It's just as wide as the legal limit for a vehicle on the freeways in California and over 13 feet tall. So you walk up to this and it's just, it's, it looks so much bigger than you'd imagine. Um, and it's, and this, and th this is actually bigger than what you see at the, uh, uh, what is the, um, uh, like the local buses, the local double. Yeah. 
Um, what do they call it? The little yeah, double, the little um, little double buses. I they guess they have a name. Accordion. Yeah, thing the one with the accordions. <laughs> we, everyone knows what we're talking about. We just can't think of the uh, the conjoined. Yeah, tandem, you know what tandem you're talking buses. about. Don't make me Google I think the it's name. Tandem. Tandem. I had no idea that's what I it was think called. It's tan- yeah, tandem like bus. A tandem bicycle, accordion. You know, like, yeah, like the two people on a bicycle, a tandem bicycle. I think it's yeah, the same thing. Yeah. Maybe I'm wrong. Someone out there is probably a bus expert, and they're laughing at us right now. But. Yeah, so so please call us out at our ignorance because we have, I have no idea what those buses are called. I've always remembered looking at them as a kid. I'm like, hey, look, the Lost World it's RV. A double bus. Hey, paint it green. Um, and it's funny because in the videos, once it makes it to the lot in Garden Grove, the shop that was supposed to do a bunch of work on it, um, you actually get to see a moment where they back a, a city bus up. And I believe it's just a little longer than the city, the city bus. And it's got the they've got the accordion bit and everything, and so they part they have the two parallel to each other, so you get a good comparison. It's much taller than the city bus, maybe a little wider and definitely a little bit longer, uh, but it really puts it into perspective. Some of that height comes from the the large tire size. The city buses are pretty low to the ground, and the RV, of course, had these huge super swampers in the movie. Which funny story when I was talking to uh, the representative at Fleetwood who had pushed for the RV project and kind of oversaw a lot of of it um, from start to finish. Um, he had mentioned that they needed to get these big tires and it was by chance that there was this one surplus place uh, down in Southern California that had a ton of used uh, tires from the military all in the same size. And he's like, I need all of them, every single one, because they wow. ended up building four trailers, two gimbals, two usable, and then two coaches. So uh, you only see one on screen. The other one's still at Universal uh, Hollywood, of course. And then who knows what happened to the gimbal trailers? Um, uh, they're out there somewhere. Hopefully, I remember seeing I, back in I think it was '98. In '98, I went to Universal Studios uh, Orlando uh, in Florida, and I remember coming across. Well, first I remember seeing the the uh, the little Mercedes truck that they used. The one Eddie Carr was trying to pull the RV over the cliff. I remember seeing that and it was just brand new. I remember just drooling all over it as a kid. And then when I walked around the corner, I remember seeing the rear section of the trailer, the, I guess it was the gimbal. And I remember looking at it and it looked so trash. And as a kid, I had no idea about movie production or magic or anything that's involved in making a movie. And I was so confused. I was like, why does this look so bad? It's so beat up. And it was because it was one of the ones used in the movie. It was just, it's just a memory that I, I will never, ever forget. I remember like it was yesterday. Those are those good moments. I remember going into the Universal Hollywood and going through the back lot, and they had the they had one of the, the lab one, I think it is, of the Mercedes on the back lot tour. And I just remember it's like Alan Grant looking out the side of the Jeep for the first time. I'm on this little, this little tram thing. And I, I can't believe what I'm seeing. There it is, right out of the lost world. There's the Mercedes. And I tried to take in as much as I could. I'm probably the only person who wanted to go on the tram tour multiple times in one day. I mean, they didn't have they didn't have Harry Potter or Minions or anything at the time. This is a long time ago. So the park was much smaller, kind of just a, an appendage to Universal rather than a real um, icon in the theme park world like it is now. Uh, so I was just like tram tour, tram tour, tram tour. I need to see more of this thing. Oh yeah. The tram tour is still my favorite parts of universal studios, Hollywood. I mean, it's, it's have all the cars back there. And every time I'm just like, can we please drive slow through this? And that's saying something because that tram's not going very fast to begin with. Just, just stop the tram. Just park it for a minute. I need more time. (laughs) I need more time. Okay. So Ari, okay. I got to ask, what is, 
like the most disappointing thing about that RV, like mood, movie magic wise. The one we worked on was used, I believe, for most of the exterior shots. And so one thing stepping into it that first time where, you know, we're looking at all this oxidized paint and this dirty handle. And I remember wondering if the door is going to break off and pulling it open and stepping inside for the first time um, and taking in all the, the detail that went into it, like um, the upholstery and the lights on the floor and the diamond plating. Um, and I think what kind of really took me out of the fantasy that I was in for that moment was seeing a lot of the the technical things that they had done. And so since this one was, as I mentioned, believed to be used for the exterior scenes, at least the trailer side of it was, um, when we stepped across that precarious little pl- uh, piece of wood that was across the gap between the two halves and stepped into the lab for the first time and looked around, one, they'd stripped all the valuable uh, props out, the fridge, um, the phones, the radios, all the good things were gone, except for a few scattered um, bulky CRT monitors and such that had prop labels on them. Um, but then I started to look at the construction, and I noticed with our trailer, for example, where all those radios and um, head units and monitors had been in the lab and the the trailer portion in the movie, uh, we didn't have that. We didn't even have slots for it. There was this big wooden con- the cabinet. And it had the the trim that would go around the openings where those things would go. But then where they would be was just solid uh, wood. There was no slot. So it never could have had the radios there. At most, maybe they put like a, a sticker over it so that, you know, if you were filming from the outside, you could kind of see like a blurry image of what kind of looks like a radio. Maybe it's kind of shiny with some reflective printing. And... So it's like, okay, they didn't even take the time to make both of these the same. And of course, they're on a budget. They have to cut corners somewhere. And so maybe this is one of the gimbal trailers even. Um, but then you start seeing other things like a lot of the water damage is caused by uh, removable pieces of the roof or the side panel. Um, they're completely impractical for a real RV or a real laboratory because it leaves you open to the elements. And so you could see all these spots where like rain had come in and such. And there were all these cables hidden in the cabinets running left and right, labeled for different lighting systems and camera systems. And for just a moment, you think, oh, wow, you know, this is really just a prop at the end of the day. Um, but for something that that strikes that much awe into the viewer's eyes, it was hard to be completely taken aback by all this. But those are the kind of things that, that take you out of the fantasy when you really get up close and personal with it. Yeah, it's kind of like, uh, I think, like the... Uh the pipes on the yep. roof and stuff like that uh, those, are all the like AC PVC, units. right? And also like, I think the back door was a back door. Like, yeah, wood that made out was of wood in the something? videos. You see um, some of the armor around the bars were metal, but then inside the, um, the vertical piece, the parts of the, the window armor, um, it was just a steel U channel, or maybe it was full um, tube steel that had been cut off on one side to be flat. Uh, but inside of that, they had, they'd stuffed some wood, um, and then the horizontal piece at the top and bottom of the window are just ply, uh, pine wood trim. And then that whole back door, the glass was really uh, glass or a very glass like plastic. Um, I wasn't there the day that they, they opened it up, but um, that whole back end of the RV is all wood. And I would never have guessed that. 
And, you know, that was just the price they paid to stay within budget. It's like, we got to build a trailer, but we've only got so much money. So where do we cut back on material costs? So PVC tubes, aluminum, fake air condenser units, all those big vented structures on the side of the top of the RV. There's supposed to be like AC units or condensers for them, perhaps. Um, it's just a bunch of sheet metal bent and quickly riveted to itself to imitate the appearance of one. Uh, and, you know, it did it. It served its purpose. I was completely fooled on screen. I never would have guessed. But when you get up close, there's nothing to it. Completely non-functional. Nothing. Yeah, the movie magic, what the, the things that they do to movie cars just absolutely fascinates me. Like everything about it. Just like, wow, I just want to touch everything when I see a movie car to see what's real, what's not. And I want to kind of deconstruct everything to see how they actually put it together. Like it's just it's so exciting to see, oh, this is actually this or this is actually that. Right. There's so much that goes into the process. And then the fact that there's so many scenes where you think you're looking at the same car, but really it's this gimbal car where it's like, okay, it's just the front third of the car. And the back half of it, the frame is well to do a bunch of bars that are on a jig or something to make it roll around and look like a vehicle. And it's just like, what on earth is going on? Like some of the explorers. Yeah, I was going to say, it's 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 so funny seeing the like the continuity that like, oh, this explorer has this, but this other scene it's missing this or they added this and it's so funny spotting all that stuff. I could talk about the RV, uh, you know, all day, but I guess now it's what, and I guess it's in Japan now, right? That's where it's going to be staying now. At least one of them. Uh, unfortunately, uh, the RV project did get stalled by, uh, the unlikely offer that was made by, I think Tokyo comic-con it was, I don't know for sure, or if I'm even supposed to disclose that, but I didn't sign any papers saying I couldn't, um, and so it is in a happy home, hopefully, in Japan, uh, where it'll either be preserved completely as is, or perhaps uh, large sums of money will be thrown at it to make it something beautiful. I've got my fingers crossed that we see some pictures in the near future um, that'll give us all some hope. Uh, and it's funny timing because just this year we got our first official member to the motor pool in Japan um, with a great little tribute explorer um, based off of a Japanese car. I got to admit, um, I'll take uh, the credit for finding that member. Now, will you? Yeah, actually, I uh, found him on Instagram. I'm like, hey, you got to join the group. I was like, okay. I sent him the link and everything. And yeah, it's 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 so cool. His his builds are, are very impressive for, for what, what they are. Like, they're fantastic. They definitely are. Can we give him a shout out? I think it's Jurassic underscore garage typing it in now. And yes, there he is. And so check him out on Instagram. If you have Instagram, you can, you can add him. It's a uh, Jurassic underscore garage. Like the things that he does is, is amazing. And I'm just scrolling through his feed right now. And he has all, he posts pictures of all the steps that he, a lot of steps that he does on a lot of his builds. Like he has like a, a tour vehicle looking uh, build. And then I think he's working on a Jeep as well. And he has like this super custom Jurassic Park looking motorcycle. Like it's it's super custom. It's fantastic. It almost looks like an Explorer crashed into like a Triceratops or a Raptor and turned into a motorcycle. It actually looks like it would be like part of a ride at Universal Studios. It's an interesting carousel ride. That's for sure. Absolutely. Okay. Though, so oh, if they made that into a Jurassic getaway, sorry, but imagine you are on that. You get on that, and it just puts you down like a track. Maybe something like um. There's this ride called Pony Express at Knott's Berry Farm in California where you get on this little horse and it kind of makes you sit forward like a motorcycle. Uh -huh. And it just launches you around <laughs> this track once super fast. And I could totally see that motorcycle doing something like that. Yeah. But I anyways, can, continue. Yeah. I've, ne I've never been there. I got to check out that place. 
I mean, pretty much whenever I go to California, I'm always at Universal. So where else would you want to be? Exactly, exactly. I can never skip, especially with the new ride. The I'm sorry, not the new ride. The rebrand of the River Adventure is opening this year, right? I believe so. That's the rumor, at least, and we're still crossing our fingers that maybe Universal will look for some motor pool involvement. Yeah, Universal. So if you guys need some help, you know, with some press, or if you need any of us, like me, over here in Houston, I will gladly fly out to California and do whatever it is that you need me to do, you know, for the ride opening. So careful, they might stick you in one of those inflatable T Rex outfits. Been there, done that. Oh, great. Uh, not that there's that anything wrong with that. Not exciting. Yeah, I I think I'm okay. I think I'll pass on the uh, inflatable T-Rex outfit. So, Ari, okay. So, what is your most memorable experience in your Jurassic Jeep? Oh, just a couple years ago, um, we were off-roading a bunch of Jurassic Park uh, vehicles together. And we decided to go up this difficult trail. uh, And it turned out to be a gatekeeper. So, we went up the, the smaller version of the trail. And one of the other Jurassic vehicles got stuck at the bottom of the an obstacle and so I was the lead vehicle I turned around and I made one of the biggest mistakes I could have ever made off-roading and that was I did not have a co-pilot and nobody else could get up to me and so I wedged the tire against a large tree root put it in reverse and turned it off and put the e-brake on it was man it's manual so I had to put it in reverse uh an attempt to stop it and I was like okay I'm gonna hop out quick I'm gonna throw the winch line down and then I'm gonna hop back in hopefully nothing goes wrong now the vehicle's facing downhill and I'm in front of it another big terrible no-no moment and so I'm in front of this vehicle and I'm pulling the winch line out and it's almost like a movie moment where I hear a a large uh twang or like metal snap noise and I'm like that doesn't seem right Oh God, I'm getting super nervous right now. And I'm no, mind you, I've got my hands on the brush guard and another hand on the, the wire. And I can just see between the fender and the bumper where the front tire is. And it's kind of like when the Explorer's wheel starts turning as it's about to fall down the tree and it's like, start moving. And I see the wheel start slowly rolling and I'm like, oh, good God. And this is with you not in the Jeep. I am not in the Jeep. Nobody's in the Jeep at this moment. Everyone else is downhill trying to get this other Jeep turned around and and unstuck. And I'm pulling this winch line. And so I'm the only thing between the Jeep and everybody else, minus a few rocks in between. And behind me, there's this little dirty channel with a bunch of rocks on both sides. And um, in that moment, all I can think is, oh, goodness, what's going to happen? And much worse words came out of my mouth, but I yelled to everyone to get out of the way as quick as possible. And the vehicle, in that instance, the vehicle started rolling forward. So the e-brake had popped, it fell out of reverse and it jumped this route all in the same moment. And so, uh, it starts rolling forward and I'm screaming to everyone to get out of the way. And I'm thinking to myself, okay, I've got two choices now. Well, three, cause the first se- half a second, the impulse was push and try to stop it which I immediately corrected as that is the terrible idea. Now we only have two choices. Do I drop to the ground because there's a little channel behind like a trench between the rocks and hope to God that my jaw doesn't get caught on the the differential and ripped off? Um, Or do I try to throw myself off to the side? Well, I decided to grab the passenger fender and start pulling myself to the side. One of the other motor pool members jumped into the Jeep from the passenger side and was trying to like finagle the the steering wheel and the shifter to stop the vehicle. And um, I threw myself under this rock belly first and I start trying to kind of like army crawl with my elbows 
up out of the way. And in that moment, the wheel turned probably from whatever was going on in the Jeep or maybe the, the way the rocks were shaped. And the vehicle came down sideways on me. And I could feel the, the I had a large sidestep at the time and I could feel it pressing down on my lower back, pinching it. I'm thinking, this is it. I'm about to pop like a cherry tomato and my vehicle is going to smash into his and go off the side of this cliff because we're on the top of a mountain and you could literally see like several thousand feet down uh, just off the edge of the trail. And in a miraculous moment, the Jeep turned back the other way, lifting itself off of me and recentering on the rocks and right maybe five feet at most from the other Jeep, um, the rocks came to a point and the wheels wedged together and stopped the vehicle right before it hit the other vehicle. I jumped up in that moment after it lifted off of me, hoping it wouldn't fall back down on me again. And I was swinging my legs around hysterically like, okay, does everything still work and move? And it did. With that, I was alive. Everyone was fine. Um, all by scared to death. And I don't think I'll ever forget that moment. It doesn't really have much to do with Jurassic Park because it could have happened to anybody with a Jeep. But that day, it was just all Jurassic Jeeps um, out on the trail together. Wow, that sounds dude, that sounds horrifying and traumatizing at that. Because I've, I've had my share of near-death experiences or actually near avoiding a point of where things are about to go seriously wrong. And that just takes me back to, to those moments where it's like, wow. Everything happened perfectly for things to not go completely to crap. Yep. And that was probably the first and only time I have been that terrified in my Jeep. All right. All right. Well, I got another question for you. What are your top three favorite movie cars of all time? Obviously, I've always loved the Jeeps. I just I love Jeep in general. So it's not really anything too fancy. But when I was uh, and maybe this doesn't count because it's a little more uh, sci fi. But when I was a kid, the uh, in Aliens the uh they had that at that atv that long like almost looked like a big armored batmobile with a single turret on it from aliens and for some reason i really liked that as a kid i love the alien uh franchise um even the newer ones which many have criticized um but that vehicle always stuck in my head i remember my friend and i were both obsessed with uh with it and legos and so we ended up building a couple of them out of legos uh which was a fun experience and then what would i say a third favorite movie car is um no i won't lie um but when i was a kid i watched a lot of reruns because i grew up with my my great grandparents so they were always watching uh uh old um older shows and one of those was uh nash bridges i believe was it and uh in that there was a that car that he always drove which i believe what was it it was a plymouth cuda uh, and some a seventy it was seventies vehicle uh, Plymouth Cuda, and uh, it was convertible. I just thought that was really cool. And now these pro some people are probably wondering like, wow, why didn't this guy say like Ghostbusters or you know Back to the Future DeLorean? Don't get me wrong, they're cool. I'm just na naming some things that in my childhood um, I saw a lot of, and I thought at the time they were really cool. Um, nowadays I'd probably say things like Back to the Future DeLorean, hands down, is just you know an amazing iconic movie car. Absolutely, hundred percent agree. But to put a little more of a twist on it. I going back to these cars that when I was a kid uh, hit me and it was Jurassic Park Jeep, that weird 
ATV from Aliens, which I don't know if it has a real name off the top of my head. I'm sure my friend, if he listens to this, will be thinking, what did all those moments together mean as we built them with Legos if you can't remember the name? And then that Plymouth Cuda. They were just iconic. <laughs> and there was also the MASH helicopter. I saw that thing, all the well, helicopters, um, because my grandfather watched MASH all the time. And so seeing all those older military uh, vehicles, that was always on my mind. So you like, so you like the, uh, the mass helicopter. That's one of your, <laughs> I don't know why. Maybe it's cause you know, cool. it goes, you know, it's always, there's always shots of it flying around. And so it's always in the intro. Yeah. You see it there and then you see it all the time in the show. And it's like, I don't know. It's stuck in my head. It's like a memory I can't get rid of. All right. So Ari, if somebody wants to get a hold of you on social media, um, how can they get a hold of you? And also how can they become a member of their motor pool? Um, so the best ways to join the motor pool to go to jpmotorpool.com. Um, and on there, there's a nice little join section. And from there, you'll be presented with a, uh, what's right now a Google form, um, with asking for some information about you, your interest, your vehicle, um, a little note section in case you want to add a little tidbit. Um, don't feel like you have to write a novel though, folks. Um, and That'll get put into our membership log, and then as soon as someone can review it, this is a volunteer organization, so sometimes it can take a week or so, um, someone will review it, they'll send an email out from uh, our Gmail account, and just saying, hey, we noticed you applied for the motor pool, we'd like to you know, have you on board, please send some photos over, so have some photos of the vehicle, painted or not, wrapped or not. Um, ready to go. And we have from there, there's two places that people get placed. Um, either they'll be placed into the workshop, which is where we try to offer as much help as we can uh, to active builders who haven't painted the vehicle yet. Um, and then there's the official members group where if you have painted or wrapped the vehicle, um, but maybe you don't have all the finishing touches on it yet, we'll put you into the main membership group. We're a little lenient on that. We're not expecting every single rim painted, but hopefully they are, um, or every little fog light or such being on there. Um, but in the long run, you know, that's what we're all working towards is some degree of completion. And so if it looks like it could be in a parade or it looks like it could be, you know, put on display, uh, we'll move you into the, the official group. And otherwise there's the workshop. And that's just the basic of how to get into the motor pool. Since I do most of my work through the motor pool, uh, you won't see a lot of me, but, well, I mean, you'll see a lot of me, but through the motor pool, um, but people can always find me on Facebook um, as Ari Morris or on Instagram as uh, Delta347. Before I let you go, you need to get on and clear the record because you made a statement in a very older video for the Jurassic Park motor pool. You said, I quote, Jeeps are cheap. Could you please clear that up? Well, this question has definitely come to haunt me over the years, and you've definitely not let me live it down. Uh, the statement, Jeeps are cheap. Now, this is a bit ambiguous, and so I think a lot of people took it the wrong way. Um, it's not a long-term cheapness. Um, now, if you're just going out and buying a, a Jeep Wrangler uh, YJ, uh, 19, you know, 1980s or late 1980s through 95, um, you know, they tend to hold their value. They some of the the cheaper models back in the day were four thousand nine hundred ninety nine, according to one ad. Um, and to this day, they still maintain like about three thousand to seven thousand dollars, which in the world of used cars, um, I always took as being pretty cheap. Now, as soon as you get it, though, you're now part of a great addiction, and 
that's where the money comes in and the greater uh, statement of Jeep just empty every pocket because you might have bought spent a little bit of money getting the Jeep, but now you have to upgrade it. Uh, be it to make it a Jurassic Park Jeep, uh, a Lost World Hunter Jeep, which we have yet to see someone take up the torch, please, and uh, or just to make it a great off-road vehicle. And things aren't cheap. I mean, tires are can be anywhere from you know hundred to three hundred dollars each, and uh, numbers of upgrades like the paint can cost someone even doing it yourself uh, six hundred dollars on the cheap end. But some of our Explorer owners, for example, have to spend hundreds on a single color, but they need three and the Jeeps need two. So the prices add up. So um, if you hear me say Jeeps are cheap, please note, I'm talking about the base vehicle here, not necessarily uh, the entire build, which can run into the tens of thousands, but Jeeps are cheap. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Ari, thanks so much for taking time out of your busy schedule to come hang out with us, come talk to us and give us a little insight about what goes on in Ari's life. A lot of, a lot of, dogs go on in my life (laughs) all right all right well i'll talk to you later thanks a lot for coming have a good one thanks for listening to the jurassic collective podcast support the show by hitting that subscribe button and check out jurassic fic on youtube and instagram for more jurassic material i will see you guys next week